quite honestly, I've run into these cases a lot. So I try to get everyone together on a three-way or four-way, whatever, a call where we can talk, everyone talks, so we're all on the same page. And sometimes it doesn't work. I mean, sometimes you have siblings who don't speak to each other at all. And it can be very difficult when the parent that they're trying to help has dementia. And, you know, there can be fighting over money. Things come up, like things come up from childhood, like you were the favorite or you got everything. Remember, you got the purple boots or whatever it may be. So it can get pretty ugly. Welcome to Aging in Style, the podcast dedicated to celebrating aging and what it takes to do it well. I'm Lori Williams. I'm a certified senior advisor and senior housing expert. In each episode, you'll learn stories of older adults who are thriving in their 70s, 80s, 90s, and in some cases, in their hundreds. Whether you're an older adult or the child of an older adult, this podcast is filled with insightful resources, organizations that are doing incredible work, and stories that will inspire you to volunteer, learn, and who knows, maybe even skydive in your golden years. Hi, welcome to Aging in Style. I am so glad that you have joined me today because I have a really good show for you. I have um, put together a list of the four types of families who look for senior living. And what I mean by that is I've worked in senior living for 17, over 17 years. I started out in an independent and assisted living community and worked there for a while. And I've worked in a placement for many, many, many years. And along that time, I have had the opportunity to work with, I don't even know how many families, probably thousands and thousands of families. Some just, you know, answering questions for them about resources for, um, you know, for seniors, and some actually helping them with the process of transitioning and moving into a senior living community. So in that time of just meeting and speaking with so many different people from all walks of life and, um, you know, all different circumstances going on in their families, I have identified what I think are the four different types. And I think everyone falls into one of these categories, and in my opinion. And, you know, maybe you'll see yourself in one of these. And there's nothing wrong with any of them, but it's sometimes a little bit to, you know, something to overcome when I'm working with a family to help them move forward and not get stuck and go to what is going to be the best fit, do the right thing for themselves or for the older adult that they're helping, whether it be a mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, aunt, uncle, whoever it may be. So. The four types of families, in my opinion, are one, the family who's always in denial, two, the family that is always yes, and I will talk more about this. The third one, of course, is the dysfunctional family, and the fourth one is the guilt-ridden family. So let's start with the first one, denial. When I think of the denial family, I picture the ostrich with its head stuck in the sand. This is the the one, the family I talked to who will say, yeah, I went home over the holidays. I saw my mom and she'd lost a lot of weight and she's not really eating well and she seemed a little bit forgetful, but I'm sure she's fine. I don't think we need to do anything for, I don't know, three to five years. That's some denial, my friend. <laughs> Another good example, and this one 
honestly, this one happened. And I'm going to give you examples of families. I've been thinking about this today and all these different stories have just been popping in my head. But um, there was one sweet lady. She was, I think she was like in her 90s and her family knew she had dementia, but they let her keep driving. And they said, well, okay, she's just going around the corner to her grocery. She likes to go there every day and she's fine. She can, she can go and do that. Well, one day she drove to the grocery and, you know, normally we would drive into the parking lot and park our car. (laughs) She drove right up to the front of the store, got put it in park, thank God, left the car running and just basically abandoned her car right there and went into the store. So that family finally did come out of denial at that point. But probably the worst case, and I think I have told this story on one of the podcasts before, because this one is just one of those stories that just stays with you forever, because it's just so awful and just tragic for everyone involved. But I, when I think of denial, I think of this gentleman that I helped many, many years ago. And I can still remember him and his name, and I'm not, obviously not going to say it, but I can still picture him. And uh, he was just a just sweet, sweet man. And he was an only child, which sometimes when it's an only child, I think it's even harder to make decisions about your parents. Because if you have siblings, it can go one way. It can go that you're you're a team together and working together to help your parents move forward. Or it can go the other way, can go into the whole family dysfunction, which we will talk about later. But this guy just, you know, loved his parents, respected his parents so much. And they lived on a ranch and kind of like in the hill country of Texas. His dad loved his ranch, but his dad had dementia. And the mom didn't, though she had some mobility issues. And they they lived out here in the country. And they to get anywhere, they had to get on a two-lane highway. And they had a little diner they loved to go to. And, you know, we talked and talked and talked about it. And he said, you know, I think they're fine. They're fine. My dad has dementia. And mom's with him when he's driving. She always goes with him. But she doesn't drive. So dad's doing the driving. And, you know, we talked over and over about is he really safe to drive? Here are some some ideas to take the keys away. I mean, we talked about all these different things, and he just kept coming back. He's like, I just can't, I can't do it. And they're they're fine. They're fine. You know, I think we probably probably over like seven or eight months, we had conversations about his parents. I gave him some places that I thought would be a good fit for them to maybe take a look. He never did. And one day he called me and he said he was so upset and he said, um, I have to tell you, last week, my parents were killed. They were had driven to the diner that they enjoyed. And when they were leaving, Dad pulled out onto this two-way, two-lane highway and right in front of an 18-wheeler. And so they were instantly killed. The truck driver survived. I don't think he was even injured. But, I mean, what guilt, even though this was 100% not his fault. But just imagine the guilt that you were in this car accident and these two people lost their lives. So it was just an awful, awful story. And that one, I've used that story when I've had, I've used it actually twice over the years where I had families in this kind of denial. And, you know, I told this story to a lady who was still allowing, it was, it was her father-in-law, but the family was still allowing them to drive. <laughs> 
And it was the same thing, a couple. And they had gotten on a highway going the wrong way at night. And they were still in denial. And I told her this story and I said, you know, very firmly, listen, this is going to happen. And she said, thank you for telling me this. And they ended up moving them into an assisted living, which is where they need it to be. So sometimes someone with denial, we have to give a little, you know, a little tough love and tell a story that's a horrible story to have to tell. But I just don't want anyone to ever have to, you know, go through what this gentleman that I had worked with, what he went through. I I can't even imagine. And why are people in denial? I think there's a lot of reasons. I think the big one is some people just just have trouble with decisions. They're just not decisive. I have people in my life like that that aren't decisive. I'm very decisive. And so it drives me a little bit crazy if someone can't make a decision. (laughs) Anyhow, that's my daughter. Love you, Abby, because, I mean, that girl is indecisive. She's going to kill me for saying that. (laughs) So she listens to my podcast, too. But I think in this situation, it comes down to maybe not being decisive, Maybe also just being so overwhelmed. And sometimes when you become overwhelmed, you sort of shut down. I think for me, when I'm working with a family who is is in a lot of denial, we just talk a lot about the different options. And I try to help them come up with a plan, maybe like the top two or top three. I'm not going to send someone 15 places to look. You know, I'm just going to help them identify what I believe is going to be the best fit. And then really encourage them to go and look at places. And I think that's very important to have a plan. Even, you know, even though you're in denial and you're saying it's not time, I don't need to move them, just go and make a plan. Start seeing it, start just some forward motion so that you you have a plan in place. Or maybe it's not even moving them, but maybe it's, you know, hiring a caregiver. Maybe it's taking the car away. Maybe it's, you know, meals on wheels that they're not eating right or setting up some kind of a, a service for them for food. So, I mean, it could be, there's there's so many different situations out there, but I think the main takeaway is to to make a plan and don't just sit there in denial. Okay, number two, I call this person the always yes. They say yes to everything. They're super excited and they believe everything they're told. So I'm kind of seeing this person as like the rabbit, you know, kind of hopping everywhere. And I have no idea why I'm thinking about animals today because I had the ostrich for denial and now I have the rabbit for the always yes person. This is a person who says yes too fast and they sort of like run and sign up and move into a community without seeing anything else. And a lot of times it's not the right fit at all. And this person just loves everything they see. They believe everyone. So, you know, this is the one who calls me and it's like, my cousin's neighbor's sister said that this is the very best memory care that there is. Does your mom need memory care? Well, I don't think so. (laughs) I mean, that's, they just, they don't, they don't stop and really think. And they're just kind of like, just moving forward, sort of like with excitement. Or they'll call and say, you know, I saw this community and I absolutely love the dog at this community. They have a they have a dog there. Well, that's great. Is this place going to fit the needs of your parents? So, so this person, I kind of have to say, let's just sort of like slow your roll. And a really good example of someone who is like an always yes would be, and, and I can't tell you how many times I've run into this. 
owning a placement service, it is my job and my passion, quite honestly. When I speak to um, a family and I'm talking to them about their mother or their father or, or both parents, whatever the case may be, I want to know everything about them. I want to know what are they needing help with? What is their personality like? What are their hobbies? What did they do for work? Just I, I want to get a good picture about who they are because then I can direct them to where I think the best the best type of senior living community and then within the best type the actual best community i can say go to this one and this one look at these two i think one of these is going to be perfect for you from everything you've shared with me and um i feel that when we when we do that i have such a good picture in my mind that i really understand i get what their family or their parent needs and we're not going to waste a lot of time looking at 15 places, right? Because nobody has time to go around and look at a million places. Why waste their time, my time, and the different communities' time? So a lot of times people will come to me because they maybe, and this is this is the one that makes me just like cringe and cry inside. I'll get a call and this is an actual case. Daughter calls. My mom has been living in assisted living for seven years. She's running out of money now, and we need to move her. Okay, let's talk about mom. What's going on? Well, she is, you know, she walks fine. She's very social. She's, she doesn't need any care at all. Hmm. Why is she living in assisted living? Well, we just thought this was the right place when we came here and visited. Did you look at any other places? No. Okay, you've been paying 4000 a month in assisted living and your mom needs no assistance other than meals. Yes. And now she's out of money. Yes. Okay, had this family come to me first, based on what her mom needed, we would have gone independent living and maybe spent 2500 a month, which her money would have lasted much longer. So those are the ones, you know, that's what I call the always saying yes. So they went, looked at this community, liked it. Somebody told them it was a great place, looked nowhere else, and they ended up at the wrong place. She didn't need assisted living. And a lot of times people will come to me that have been in assisted living and they're running out of money, and now they need assisted living. Those are the ones that are truly very tragic, in my opinion. So I think it's just super important that you work with a local, reputable placement service because, and they're everywhere now. I mean, there's, in, in most places, there are placement services. But make sure you, you get with a good one because not all are created equally. And we did do a podcast I will Ask Anna, my podcast producer, to go ahead and link it with this because it's a good one to listen to how to pick out a placement service. So I won't go into great detail about that. But with a good placement service, like I said, for myself, it's very important that I ask a lot of questions and really get a good feel for who your, um, your loved one is and make sure that we find the best fit for them. So that's your always yes. Don't be an always yes person. Slow down. And give something, give it some thought. Don't just say, oh, I liked the sales lady. She was super sweet. That's not the reason to make 
the decision. Okay, on to the third type of family that we work with, family dysfunction or the dysfunctional family. We all have a little bit of dysfunction, don't we? (laughs) I can't even say the word. This is usually, it can be the siblings. That's usually who it is. Let's be honest. It's usually the siblings fighting amongst each other. Here's a great one. This one just happened today, actually. So I have a, a daughter called me and her mom a little bit of dementia, not much, just a little, a little forgetfulness. And she's living in Florida with her daughter. She's been there about a year. So this is with another daughter. There's two daughters. And so the daughter here in Texas wants mom to move back to Texas. Mom is from Texas originally. And she's telling the daughter here, yes, yes, I want to move back to Texas. I want to be there. I want to be in assisted living. I am tired of living in the daughter's house in Florida. We don't do things that I want to do. I feel like I'm holding them back. I just feel I don't feel like I have my own place or my own independence. And um, all valid, valid things to say. However, daughter in Texas says mom is also saying the same thing to daughter in Florida and doesn't tell her I want to go back to Texas. So so mom's like kind of playing them both. And I don't know if she's meaning to play them both, but she's sort of like saying one thing to the daughter in Texas and then another to the daughter in Florida because she doesn't apparently want to confront the daughter in Florida who is more like the type A kind of like alpha in the family. And so I I don't know what the mom really wants. So I kind of think the daughter here in Texas is correct, that mom does want to move here to Texas, but she's a little bit afraid of the daughter in Florida that she's living with. So she's just, you know, kind of being Switzerland here and sort of staying in the middle and saying yes, yes to both of them just to, you know, not to have any issue. So when this happens, quite honestly, I've run into these cases a lot. So I try to get everyone together on a three-way or four-way, whatever, a call where we can talk, everyone talks, so we're all on the same page. And sometimes it doesn't work. I mean, sometimes you have siblings who don't speak to each other at all. And, you know, it can be very difficult when the, the parent that they're trying to help has dementia. And, you know, there can be fighting over money. Things come up. Like things come up from childhood, like you were the favorite or you got everything. Remember, you got the purple boots or whatever it may be. So it can get pretty ugly because they're talking. I don't know how to explain it really, but but I guess it's just bringing up the family, like those family dynamics that were always there, even when they were young. And it just like all those memories come flooding in. And I have seen some doozies of fights, but that's a tough one. And then you also, with the family dysfunction, you can sometimes have the denial. So you may have one sibling who's in denial. Oh, mom is fine. We don't need to move her. I don't know why you want to move her. And the other sibling going, "Um, because she was, you know, walking outside with no clothes on. I mean, you know, it could be that um, significant. And the other one is still in denial. So that's the family dysfunction. And as I said, I mean, My way of trying to get through that one is to do like a three-way call, but sometimes I have referred them on to therapists that, you know, maybe they need to to get together as a family and do some therapy to figure things out. And sometimes they, they do it and most of the time they don't, but 
you know, we try. So the fourth type of family, the last type that I have for you is the guilt-ridden family. And this is the family who will start off with, oh, I promise to never put dad in a nursing home. Even though dad maybe just needs independent living, they're still calling it a nursing home. I feel that this type of family is just truly just driven by guilt and by fear, fear of the unknown. This is the family, the one who's very guilt-ridden that a lot of times has to make a decision when there's an absolute emergency. And my example of a guilt-ridden family, and I think this one paints a really good picture, I had a very sweet daughter I was working with. Um, The dad had been widowed. He was living in his house that he had lived in with his wife for many, many years. And he was a very successful man, very highly intelligent. And But he had dementia. And she could not make the decision to move him. And I mean, it was one of those things, it was so clear. So this one was is a little bit of denial too, um, but mostly for this daughter, she was guilt-driven. That's what it was. It was so much guilt because she kept kept saying, he has his routine. He has his house that he lived in with mom. He has his memories there. I just feel so bad to move him. He doesn't want to go. He has his books. He has everything was about, you know, she felt guilty about having to make this decision. So she didn't make a decision. And I'm going to say we probably worked on this one for over a year. And what happened was dad drove off. Nobody could find him. They had to do a silver alert to look for him. And he lived here in Texas. And Somehow, he drove off when they found out later just by tracing um, where he had used his credit card. He had driven up into Oklahoma, like way up in Oklahoma, got gas, and then drove, I think he was gone maybe like two days, drove back home. He got to his neighborhood and then couldn't find his house. So, So incredibly amazing how dementia works. Could not find his house. A neighbor recognized him, knew that he was the silver alert, and called the police. So that is what finally forced her into, you know what, it's his safety. He is at major risk now. I have to move him. So that that pushed her out of the guilt because, you know, she was going to be more guilt if something, if he got very lost and something awful happened to him. So I, I feel like the guilt-ridden family, like I said, they just, they wait until something major happens or it's some kind of safety issue like a silver alert like this family or a fall and a hip is broken and now we're looking at a hospital stay and rehab and they can't go back home and you know it's time to make that decision you know another story i have another not so great story was a lady who the husband was very much in denial and trying to keep her at home And it was during COVID, so the daughter wasn't able to come and visit. And the dad did a good job of kind of like, you know, never putting mom on FaceTime, just like, oh, she just went to take a nap or whatever it was. So the daughter didn't lay eyes on mom for probably a year. And when she saw her, she found that she had become bedridden and had not gotten up. And the dad still would do nothing. And he felt guilty and there was denial and the daughter felt a lot of guilt about it. Well, what ended up happening was 
Adult Protective Services had to get involved, took her out because she was, you know, completely bedridden, not taken care of, bed sores. It was awful. And they took her to a um, skilled nursing facility where they were able to get her better. And then through the court, anyhow, I ended up meeting this family through the court system because it came to the point where it was time for her to leave the skilled nursing facility and move into a memory care. And I was able to help them with that. But, you know, so sad that it had to get to that point. And it doesn't need to get to something this serious, right? I mean, I know it's it's hard. We all probably fall into some of these categories of types of families. We all, you know, have denial at some point. Nobody wants to admit their, you know, parents are getting older and needing help. You know, there's always, like I said, a little dysfunction in every family, and there's guilt in a decision like this. I don't think everyone is an always yes person, so I won't throw you in there, but there are those always yes people too. But I think it's it's important to know kind of where you fall. And, you know, if you are in the process of having to make a decision and, you know, start looking for options for your family members, just kind of be aware and careful not to to go into one of these roles. Okay, thank you so much for tuning in. I hope that this information is helpful to you. Um, I think it's very important, whether you are in the position yet to have to look for care or housing for an older family member, at some point you probably will be. I mean, I think we all kind of at some point will fall into this role. So just be aware of the pitfalls along the way and make sure that you are not that ostrich with your head in the sand or the rabbit saying yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and um, of course, please go back and listen to some of the podcasts. I think I, the one, one of the ones I mentioned was about how to find a placement service because I do think it's very important to find a local reputable placement service to work with. I wish we could be everywhere to serve you, but I can't be everywhere. So that's why I do the podcast to get this information out there to you. And uh, hopefully it will help you because education is the key to, um, to being a good consumer. All right. Thanks so much for listening. And please share this podcast with your friends and family. And if you enjoyed the content, please give us a review. Thanks so much. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.